Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
everybody. Happy Monday. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sauter Show. I'm Rory Sauter, your host. It is great to be with all of you. I have missed you all. Uh, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, we had such great shows last week, and like I do every episode, I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, uh, my amazing sponsors and audience. You guys are all incredible. Uh, the show is now listened to in 23 different countries and on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or any 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, the next N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. And in the, com- in the coming weeks, actually, I will be announcing uh, the details starting next week, uh, but we will, here in the coming weeks, be having many notable people doing their own shows on the network. And like I said many times, I am very excited to share that information with all of you. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show, uh, let's see here, uh, doctor, award-winning speaker, professor, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and currently the commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Rory. I'm just uh, enjoying watching our present and the uh, first lady make uh, make a little bit of history there over in Europe. Absolutely. And uh, how was your birthday? Do you have a good birthday? Oh, thanks for asking. It was it was a fantastic birthday. Absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you, I got some. Uh, you know, I, I I know some people may not like it, but I'm from out. You know, down in Alabama. You know, I I got a a really nice pair of alligator boots. So looking forward to trying out those new boots really soon. There you go. There you go. Uh, Also want to welcome to the show, um, conservative talk show host, 2024 presidential candidate, activist, and best-selling author, the great Daryl Kane. How are you, my friend? Well, 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 Rory Souter. Good to hear your voice, my man. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Great, great, great to have you here. Um, so wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I want to just say one thing. Yeah. Happy birthday to Dr. Branch. And do we still have the starting five? Uh, I believe, uh, Clint, Clint, is, Clint is not with us yet. So ah, we don't. Oh man, we got to get Clint on here because that's the dream team. Me, you, Dr. Branch, the Kuiper. Clint Bellows. That's Clint. If you're listening, we need you. All right, Rory. Back to you, brother. Very true. Very, very true. Uh, let's also welcome to the show uh, founder of Republicans United, founder of College Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Dukeiper. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. I had a lovely weekend, and I hope it was a lovely weekend for everyone else. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, great to have you here. Uh, I want to uh, get into our opening story, guys. I mean, there's so there is so much to get into tonight. I mean, where where to even begin? Obviously, we're going to get into uh, details uh, regarding President Trump's trip uh, over. He's in he's in London right now. He's he's over there in England, and it's going really well. Uh, he's got a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, he's been attending all the different ceremonies and events uh, with with the the queen and 
all all the people um, you know associated that we had we had Prince Harry was seen in the picture. We had um, all these different people. You know, the whole Trump family's there too. We have uh, all the kids came, and it's like they're making it into a huge huge event, which I love. I love it. Um, and obviously, we know that we have uh, haters that are you know making comments and and doing all this petty BS and, and ho- you know hoping the president fails and you know just just I, I can't I can't stand the negativity of the left. I mean it's just it it never never ends. Um, so you know what what I want to start off with tonight though, and you know we've talked about this so many times is the disease and and the dangers of political correctness, of where our culture has gone, of everything that uh, we are facing as a nation uh, at this moment. I mean, we look at everything that's going on. Being white now is is a crime. If you're white, you're white privilege. You're more more, uh, gifted than everybody else regardless. Uh, whether you're homeless or you, you don't have a limb, if you're white, you're privileged. You're better than every you know that 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 is what the left is shoving down people's throats. We have them putting blacks in a box. We have them constantly over and over and over race baiting, and I mean they they don't you know it's it's the generalization. The constant stereotypes, the saying that all blacks are oppressed, all minorities are oppressed, they're the victims, gays are the victims, it goes on and on. All these issues. There's a new report out today, and this is the most ridiculous thing on the face of the earth, and I honestly thought this was something from the onion, like a joke, but it's not a joke. NBA teams now are considering ditching the term owner because it's racially insensitive. What the hell is racially insensitive about using the term owner? Are we really becoming this weak, guys? Are we really becoming this weak? And you have all these stories that are, that are misleading, but as long as the victim uh, narrative is in the story, the left goes with it. We've seen what the mainstream media is putting out there. We've seen how many times they've had to backtrack on different things. But, but, but to be honest, this NBA situation is real. This is totally real. It, people don't, aren't even taking accountability anymore. I mean, in the last couple of years, ever since Trump got elected, this whole mindset of the poor me, you know, or, orange man bad, We must do everything to oppose his agenda. We must destroy him in whatever way possible. And now the Democrats are even admitting the only way to defeat Trump is to impeach him. It doesn't matter if he's innocent, guilty. They don't care. They want to impeach because they they want to overabuse their power. They can't get away with the stuff that they used to get away with. And, you know, it, it's a big, big merry-go-round. And then, and then you guys got to hear this. President Trump comes out the other day, right, 
and, you know, he, he gives his support to the LGBT community. And then what does the left do? Oh, he's just doing that for attention. He doesn't mean that. He just wants more votes. He just wants more uh, – he, he wants to grow his base. Really? Well, he's the first Republican in the history to ever recognize LGBT month. And I couldn't believe that fact once I looked it up, but that actually is true. So for anyone to make the ignorant statement of, well, he's just trying to get attention and needs to expand his base, let me remind all of you, he doesn't need to expand his base. His base is about double the size it was in 2016. More and more people keep going to him on a daily basis. And and we're seeing, for instance, when he's doing all this good stuff, when he's over here in the U.K. doing all this great stuff, you have networks like CNN that are making us look bad because all they're doing is looking for the negative stuff to report on about him. And, and you know, this, this, this goes on and on. And, you know, it's like this, this country is not even, uh, you know, it's not even a country of laws anymore. It's all victims from the left, from the left. What, what, what's how they view it? I mean, for instance, Illegals should all should come in regardless of their background, is their mindset, and they don't give a shit, and they think it's hateful that we should make other, other uh, languages and other uh, pe- people from different countries speak English. They think that's hateful, making them speak English in our country. Really, that's hateful? If we go to another country and we try uh, using a different language, we'll get laughed at or ignored. It's like you have to go by what what country you're in. And this all, everything I'm saying goes into this political correctness madness that we're dealing with. And now we have the Women's March, the smelly, entitled feminists that are the nastiest creatures on earth want President Trump's Twitter ban. They want to, and that's another thing. That's another thing. Look at the war on free speech right now. They want platforms banned. They want to control uh, who uses the internet? They want to take your guns. They want to kill babies. And if we question any of this, as Republicans, if we we try to call out the left, we're called bigots. We're called Nazis. And if I hear one more goddamn time, I I want I want uh, what's the term? I was just uh, gender equality. Get the hell out of here with that crap. I don't want to hear any repulsive, smelly, entitled, fat-ass feminists use that term ever again. In many cases, women are working more and make more than men. You know what what these smelly, repulsive feminists don't mention? Is that more men are homeless. More men commit suicide. More men, uh, there's a lot of scenarios where men make less. But all you guys come out and do is talk about the small the small portion uh, of how – I don't even think women are oppressed. I think I, – I, I mean, I could see how in certain situations these people think that, but it's beyond overboard with the way they go about it. I mean, I, I'm not denying that there's sexism and, and this stuff that occurs in our country, but not to the extent that, that it's reported. It's crap. It is such crap. And now, and now when the left wants open borders – We have, at this point, nine in ten illegal aliens that are released into the U.S., and they do not show up for their court hearings. They do not. 
They do not. And it, it, it's, it's on and on and on. And if Democrats are so for equality and so for all this stuff that they say, then why don't they speak out about these foreign countries that hang gays and execute people based on their sexual orientation? You know, you feminists take your smelly self to the street in one of these countries, they'll have a, a nice bullet in the head for you. That's what they do. They don't play or they'll throw you off the roof. You don't get the same luxury that you get in America overseas. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. I, you know, I want to play this quick clip from Tucker Carlson, which basically, you know, it really, it really specifies where the liberals are at, these 2020 candidates. They have no, nothing to run on. They have, no, they have nothing. There's no message except free, free, free. Use other taxpayers' money, give illegal social security, let illegals come in, open borders, take your guns, abortion at nine months. I mean, it's madness. This is madness. And like I've said many times on this show, at least one point in time, there was substance in the Democratic Party. Even though I did not agree with them, at least they had something to go on. Uh, let's play this, though, real quick. I want to I play Kanye's uh, quick statement from earlier today about how, uh, you know, liberals – you know, bully Trump supporters, and then I want to play this clip, this clip from Tucker. Uh, one for him. Well, rapper and entertainer Kanye West appeared on David Letterman's Netflix show recently. While there, he said something pretty true, obviously true, but really said out loud. The American left has suddenly decided to bully the rest of us constantly. Watch. Have you ever been beat up in your high school for wearing the wrong hat? I just been beat up because people didn't like me. Yeah, <laughs> but I know what you're. I know yeah. what you're saying. The idea is the bullying. Who's the bully in this scenario? Well, definitely liberals bully people who are Trump supporters. It's not just calm. You can't just go and wear the hat. You can't just go. It's like F- you, F- you. Like it's like, bro. Author and columnist Mark Stein often wears the hat and can speak directly to. And that's another example. You know, these liberals want to be protected, but the minute we open our mouths and have our point of view, all hell breaks loose and we're bullied. I mean, it's a sad existence we're living in. And I want to play this clip showing what these 2020 priorities are for these candidates. It's disgusting. Uh, 1-7. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy June. So yesterday, CNN held town hall specials with a trio of presidential candidates, Seth Moulton, Eric Swalwell, Tim Ryan. We watched it so you wouldn't have to. All three of them are Democratic members of Congress. None is in danger of becoming president anytime soon. So why do we pay attention to what they say? Well, because as they stammer and sweat and pander profusely, They give us a pretty good idea what Democratic primary voters believe and what they care about. And, of course, the thing they care about most, the thing they can't stop talking about ever, is race. They're obsessed in a deeply unhealthy way. Racial obsessions are always deeply unhealthy. Watch Seth Moulton explain that Georgia didn't elect Stacey Abrams governor, not because she wouldn't be a good governor, but because you, sir, are a bigot. We have a problem with racism in America today. If this country wasn't racist, Stacey Abrams would be governor. People of color are being systemically denied the most basic right in a democracy, which is the right to vote. So Seth Moulton went to Andover and Harvard, unlike you, 
So he must be unbelievably impressive, probably a verified genius, and a good person, too. And yet somehow Moulton didn't bother to muster a single piece of evidence to show that any of his claims were true. Because actually they're not true, because it's not 1953 anymore. They can't let you know that, though. For Seth Moulton's purposes, purposes of control, it's got to be Jim Crow Alabama at all times, now and forever. Burning crosses and the sound of night riders in the distance. That will keep you terrified and easier to manipulate. That's the whole point. Eisenhower sent the 101st Airborne to bring the South to heel, but the modern Democratic Party doesn't need the military. Instead, they've got big business to make the population obey. Watch Eric Swalwell of California bow before the gods of woke capital. You have Netflix, Disney, NBC Universal, Warner Beat Media, which owns CNN. They've all warned they may halt business here uh, if that law does, goes into effect. I wonder, do you support that kind of economic boycott? Yeah, if that law goes into effect, I absolutely do, and CNN may have to move. There's a lot of young women who work at CNN who will be affected. <laughs> do I support putting big companies in charge of America's social policy, Eric Swalwell was asked. Of course I support that. Screw voters, they're irrelevant. Our billionaire donors will bring back the abortion ferry. You'll notice applause from the audience. They love that. Democratic primary voters love it when you talk like that, that some billionaire is going to ride to the rescue and make everything okay. You know what they don't like? They don't like reality. That infuriates them. Biology is real. Russia did not beat Hillary. Global warming isn't actually killing millions of people right now. All true statements... All of those statements drive them bonkers because they're true. Watch their response when Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, who's also running for president, reminds them that actually socialism doesn't really work. If we want to beat Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was. You know, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping to reelect the worst president in American history. So that's the point where Hickenlooper should have paused and called out the audience like a stand-up comic and asked them to name a single place outside of Sweden in the 1970s in which socialism has actually worked. Anyone? Anyone? But of course he didn't do that. He was too afraid. Moist palm Democrat. God knows what the mob would have done if he tried. Watch what happened to John Delaney, maybe the bravest of anyone in the race, when he suggested that Medicare for all might not be such a great idea. Medicare for all may sound good, but it's actually not good policy, nor is it good politics. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. A hundred... He's dying out there. Boo! Stop him before he hurts our dreams. If we want it to be true, it must be true, screamed the four-year-olds in attendance. I am the center of my universe. Cater to me. Tell me I'm wonderful. If you strip it all away, that really is the message of Democratic voters. 200-proof narcissism. Give us more. <laughs> the narcissist-in-chief was very offended. For the crime of making an obvious point, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went on Twitter and demanded that Delaney get out of the race. And that doesn't, in the end, bode well for Democrats. When a party demands delusion, that means only the delusional can win.
I mean, these people are so divided. I can't wait to get the popcorn ready. I mean, you have some of them that don't want socialism. Uh, you have some of them that are all for it. I, I've, you know, I thought the Republicans were, were divided a couple of years ago pretty bad. I mean, this is this is a whole new level of of whole new level of division. This is insanity. Um, let's go to let's go to Dr. Branch. Dr. Branch, go ahead. First of all, I want to say hey to the rest of the panel. Dr. Branch, speak up a little bit. Yeah, I just want to now. say hello to You're the good. rest of the panel. It's it's great to be back on with you all, and, 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 and thanks for the birthday wishes from you all. I do appreciate that. You know, I, I have a when – I, when I teach, uh, I teach teachers. I teach teachers at the doctorate level, and uh, a teacher here about – two weeks ago was talking to me that she wanted to become a diversity officer at a school. And I said, well, what does that mean to you? And we got into it a little bit as far as, you know, what this means, diversity and inclusion, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of George Bush senior Bush 41, but back in 1991, when he was given a commencement address at Michigan, the University of Michigan, he was talking about uh, political correctness. And that's what you started off with was political correctness and where it has gotten us. Now, this is back in 1991. And, you know, his words are extremely relevant because, you know, we need the ability to speak one's mind. Now, I don't think that there's a soul on this uh, radio panel that doesn't believe that Rory speaks his mind. I, I appreciate that. Uh, but many people would look at it as not being politically correct. But the thing is, is and that's what's going to have destroyed free, our country. That's right, because if we're going to have free thought and free ideas, we have to be able to speak our mind. But the left is using this political correctness to censor expression, to censor even gestures, and it creates a conflict in censorship. And that's what's happening, and we see it everywhere. you just seen it – I mean, you've seen it with OAC, you know, talking about uh, Delaney sashaying off the <laughs> stage. I mean, if you or I would tell OAC to sashay off the stage, <laughs> we would be, We'd be called a politically – that we would be uh, many other worse names than sexist, that's for sure. We would be called that. But we are right now we – we have handcuffed America. We have handcuffed the free flow of ideas under this whole guise of being politically correct. That has to end. That's why I really like shows like yours. We may not agree on every topic, but we're speaking our mind and our and, and what we believe, and we need more of that in America. That's why I applaud you, Rory, and I also applaud every member of this panel. And, and, and you were speaking about gestures. I mean, look how ridiculous it's gotten. I mean, the OK sign is now considered white supremacy. That's how ridiculous everything's gotten. I, I, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that. If I look at Arizona, uh, you know, a couple uh, organizations with Arizona, they're using, 
you know, okay, like, you know, it's just like it should be used and that they're being called white supremacists. It's just, yeah. it just doesn't, you know, they, the people on the left are looking for every gesture, every way that they can take power away from good ideas and yeah. causing conflict. That's all they live for. And to me, we have to have free flow of ideas. If you don't like how I think, then, hey, man, you don't like how I think. But I have the right, and not only the right, we should want everybody to be able to speak and make sure that we have free flow of good ideas. Yeah, yeah. And and what what bothers me the most is that, you know, when the left tries to use minorities as a pawn, you know, they try to generalize and say, you know, they're they're and, and they're trying to speak for all minorities. And there's a lot of minorities that are really pissed off that the left is trying to use them as, as you know, political uh, as a political pawn as, as for a political agenda. I mean, it's it really it really is crazy. It's crazy stuff we're dealing with. Well, just with. look at that uh, just walk away movement. You had you had yeah. the uh, guest on here a week ago on the just yeah. walk away movement, and that's yeah. I, I mean he woke up Brandon and he said, Strucka. "Listen." Yeah, Brandon Strucker. He said, listen, this is not right. I am not a victim. You're not going right. to use me anymore. And right. he stood up and he said, enough's enough. And yeah. we have to do that in America. You're absolutely right. Uh, hey, Daryl, go ahead. And Daryl, um, as you know, uh, you, you know we're, we're both big uh, basketball fans and, and how like you know an example of how political correctness has gotten so out of control and it's such a disease they're trying to change the, the term owner in NBA basketball because they think it resembles a, a plantation a plantation owner it's absolutely ridiculous yeah those are some very well-paid uh, slaves I'll put it that way I think maybe and, and by the way Rory really terrific lead-in and I think you've got some really great topics a lot of things that you opened up I actually hadn't heard that, and uh, yeah, that's deeply offensive. You know, someone that has paid money to go to basketball games, uh, to to hear that people making twenty and thirty million dollars a year somehow take offense to the fact that they have a boss. It's really it's it's beyond. And I, I do a couple things I want to comment on. Uh, certainly, you know, I'm supportive of Trump. Uh, on, on occasion, I will push back, and, and hearing that he has actually come out and supported Pride Month, I will strongly condemn that. Pride Month is really a disgrace, and it's an embarrassment, and it's the perpetuation of a widespread scale, uh, basically, plot to sexually abuse children that is unilaterally carried out from the academic institutions to the uh, entertainment industry, and it's fundamentally unacceptable. By now, we've all seen this uh, nine-year-old boy that's been carried around. And, you know, I was speaking to some friends of mine uh, over in Eastern Europe just just earlier today, or actually yesterday, and, you know, they, they actually, actually actually had to tell her, you know, that this is this is real. Like, they, they didn't believe, they thought that this is like anti-Western propaganda, that this is something that their governments are telling them to turn them against America. To tell them that you know we actually parade our children around in rainbows and take them to these parades where you have men walking around literally, <laughs> literally naked, li- literally naked, exposed physically in public, parading themselves around, dressed in all sorts of satanic costumes, and uh, they'll be holding the hands of children right there with them. 
and you know this type of evil is, is continued. Political correctness, as we've all talked about many times, is the complete inversion of our Christian values as a society. It's not a different thing. It's not a new thing. It's the exact opposite. So what you're really talking about, if we start with a Christian paradigm, the inversion, inversion of that obviously is Satanism. So this is what we're dealing with. And what we have now is that we've inverted the term pride from what it means, which is uh, something that you take from – that's derived from accomplishment, and that's uh, derived from goodness and success, and we've now used it to categorize ugliness and failure. And we've made it a mandatory celebration for not only everyone in the United States, but everyone in Western civilization. And this is deeply disturbing, and as president, obviously, I would put a swift end to this. I would also, also excuse me, issue a formal apology statement for the disgraceful display of when President Obama lit the White House up on rainbows the day that same-sex marriage was uh, completely, completely falsely codified by the Supreme Court justice, which at the time was made up primarily of activist judges that had no regard for the rule of law and the feelings of the American people who they serve and represent. And we talked about the topic of free speech, and at this point, I'm getting a little bit tired of talking about our free speech being restricted. The way that I look at it is in the United States, we assert that we have certain God-given rights. And one of those God-given rights is speech, freedom of speech. And my perception of God, and everyone's is a little bit different, and I'm not the most biblically sound person, so someone please feel free to correct me. But the way that I look at God is that God is the ultimate father. He's the father that none of us had. He is supremely perfect in his authority that he renders upon us. Now, what does a good father do when he has two children and he gives them something? And one child uses that thing to abuse the other child. What, what is authority going to do? Authority is going to remove that toy from the child that is using it uh, irresponsibly. He is going to restore it for the child that has been victimized, and he is going to render something that will teach that child a lesson and will get them back on track. So as far as I'm concerned, the only way that we're going to get it through the uh, skull of the American left that we're entitled to carry our Christian values that the nation was founded upon, that we're entitled <clears throat> to our yeah. European ancestry, is to actually retract their right to spread lies. Because uh, frankly, telling a child that there are 57 genders, that to me is actually much worse <laughs> than shouting fire that is much worse than shouting fire in a crowded theater. Uh, so the things that they are talking about, which have no basis in reality and are fundamentally evil, actually have no place in a civil and functional society. So not only would I move to restore our rights, I would be looking to uh, restrict and hinder theirs. Back to you. Oh, Rory, I do want to say, too, I'm having – serious battery issues with my phone tonight. It's at that point where it goes from 90% to 5% in about six minutes. So if I pop okay. off for a second, it just means that it died and just expect me to come back on shortly. Okay? All right. Sounds good, man. Uh, let's go Thanks, to brother. Gianni. Gianni in New York, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of mixing religion and politics and all, but I am a big fan of common sense. And you know, what everybody's been saying is right on. You know, I saw a link 
uh, on Facebook today, and it was all over Google, everything about dodgeball. You know, and now people are recalling dodgeball because it counts out the slower people. <laughs> I mean, this is serious. I mean, I was just I mean, I, I lost my mind. I was just like, they said that dodgeball is a game of oppression on slower people. That that's a, you can if you feel like I'm, if you think I'm if you think I'm bullshitting you, I'm, you can pro- promise you Google it and you'll see it. No, I believe and you. I was just like, yeah, I was just like. I don't know what's going on in America anymore. This is getting insane. I mean, what, like, I, I just want to know what happened. Like, because, you know, I'm 23 years old, so I don't know a lot of stuff in the world, all right? I'm just out there experiencing like anybody else my age. It's like, I don't know what happened for us to get to this point where, you know, there are 60 genders. And I was asking someone who was supposedly, you know, one of these gender people, you know, gender fluid and all this other stuff. And I was like, so how many genders are there? And they didn't know. They said, I don't know. There could be many genders. There could be over 600 genders. I was like, that makes no fucking sense at all. Makes no sense at all. And I don't understand where people are getting this stuff from. So I think that in America, I think we need to, um, as one of your guests stated, we need to speak the truth. That's the main thing. It's, we need to use our free speech however we can and, like, on your shows, we need to speak the truth, say what we got to say, you know, you got all the audience, audiences, audiences watching, say what we got to say and actually debate, go out and debate, talk to people, let's go out to town halls, let's go out to liberal debates, and then debate with them, go out to college campuses like some of these uh, conservative talk shows, you know, are, are doing, like Louder Crowder, you know, he goes to to these college campuses and he has setups about change my mind and they have a logical discussion, a logical debate. And sometimes it changes uh, uh, certain kids that are on college campuses mind because most of these kids that are coming up with this crazy stuff, you know, grew up in middle-class Iowa and then they want to, you know, backstab their parents and they want to move to New York or California to become trendy, you know, and they're just making up all kinds of, you know, dumb shit like Latinx. Like, I'm a Latino. What the hell is a Latinx? Like, that makes no sense. No one says that in Latin world, you know. But I think what we need to do is, like, hit the college campuses hard. Because if you don't reach college campuses and you don't reach the education system, the next generation is going to be lost. Yeah. You're, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, Kevin, go ahead. Uh, I'll call, I'm going to call on a few more people, and then we got to get to our guests. But, Kevin, go ahead. Your, your turn. Great. Well, fantastic topics to bring up. And I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. And uh, let's get into the psychology and the ideology of the left. And where this plays right now, let's, uh, let's bring it to the Women's March or the infamous uh, Pussy Hats protest. And this <laughs> is a, an absolutely maniacal protest. It's, it's, we can't even tell what they're actually protesting. And as we, the best answers we could really get out of them is that uh, Trump is a misogynist and a, a woman hater, and that America has this rape culture. And yeah, as laughable as it is, uh, <laughs> you, you could uh, you could ask them, and they they really can't give you a straight answer. So let's let's think of the things that they should be protesting instead of Trump, who's not done anything to oppress women. He's not uh, restricted their abortion rights. He's not like passed any legislation against them in any way. So I mean it's uh, it's absurd right there. Women are already, uh, you know, they're 
they get three times less harsh of prison sentences than men do. I mean, they get paid better in tips and uh, paid better in, you know, women-specific jobs, of course. But uh, let's talk about things that they should be protesting. We, we could be talking about, uh, you know, the sex trade that's uh, coming over through our southern border or just the sex trade in general that's pervasive all throughout uh, the world. We could talk about how there's these certain religions that uh, mutilate women's genitals or stone them in the streets because they've uh, shown some skin or even been raped by someone and they had to be honor killed by their family. So uh, there's a long list we could keep going on about how terrible women's rights are in certain places throughout the world. But it is Trump, apparently, that is the, the problem. So the, the liberal ideology doesn't care about the facts. They care about the feelings. They, they, they just want to make sure that they have their person in power and they, they can't tolerate anything else. I think that's something that the Republicans lack. They, they lack a sense of uh, being intolerant of those that are intolerant of themselves. And uh, I'll bring it to this point about some of the talking points that the left has. It's, they all believe about this tolerance and equality, yet they wield weapons such as these hate crime laws, uh, which essentially is a death blow to anyone that's caught doing a crime to someone of uh, a minority-specific group. I mean, we have all these affirmative action laws that uh, the in-group of America, or specifically people of European descent, are not uh, privileged with. Uh, and uh, they talk about all these different things along the lines of, uh, you know, we want wealth, uh, welcome refugees into our country. And uh, so they'll, you know, trust and tolerate everyone from around the world to come into our country, yet they won't tolerate these people in the country that even advocate or hold any nationalistic or pro-American values, right? And, I mean, it, it, goes, it goes on and on about how... Uh, this, uh, how they do not uh, want to coexist with us, which is a, a topic that they totally believe in, this coexistence. They wield the club of social justice against the American people. And if you don't know what social justice is, it's essentially this uh, wide, pervasive uh, affirmative action uh, that is both social and financial, and it, it, it permeates all of our institutions to favor these uh, said uh, minority groups. And uh, it's, it's really troubling that Trump is someone who believes in a meritocratic system. He wants our immigration to be for in the benefit of, of our country, to make it as strong and as prosperous as possible. And this is what we're up against. And so I, I think it's uh, the fact uh, you may not care about your feelings, but more importantly, it's the feelings that do not care about your facts. And, and the left is all about these feelings. So. I truly believe that as much as it's uh, important to get into our universities to try to talk and debate with the left, they're not going to uh, rescind that uh, tolerance or that favor to us. They want to destroy us. They want to silence us. And they want to use these uh, anti-hate laws, these anti-free speech uh, mechanisms to silence us at all costs uh, because we have the winning argument. And we see that in the social media. We see that, in fact, in, in all media. And uh, it goes against our, our First Amendment rights. Uh, it goes against our values as a country to be able to uh, speak our mind and not be targeted specifically for our political or, or social values. So uh, it's, there's so much left to be done. I, I think that especially that uh, Trump or just the entire Republican Party should be more outspoken because uh, they can't get all of us. We are a majority of the country. I firmly believe that. And if, if we maintain 
maintain our, our silence or, or do not fight the full battle, then they're going to slowly and surely tiptoe their way into silencing us one by one by one. But if, if we stand united and, uh, and firm in our, our values, that's going to make all the difference. Very well said. I, I am going to go to one more person, and we got to take a quick commercial and then introduce our guests. But I do want to welcome uh, to the show quickly uh, Ice, Isis Escapee, radical Islam expert, political strategist, and activist and best-selling author, IQ Al-Razuli. IQ, what are your thoughts on all this political correctness culture and, and this, I mean, this nightmare? What do you think? IQ, are you there? IQ? Weird. Um, Mike, Mike Peters in New York, then I'm going to go to commercial. Go ahead, Mike. No Mike Peters. Mike Peters or IQ? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, Mike Peters, um, go I, ahead. Guys, good evening, everybody, and, and um, glad to be here. And I agree with everybody. What everybody's saying, I think we're all, we're all saying the same thing different ways. I've I've continuously for years now said that we've got to get them away from the podium and take the mic away from away from them. They they don't deserve it anymore. They've they've really taken advantage of our system and they've ruined it. And the average American mom and pot kettle don't get it because it doesn't affect them. But two hours ago, I found something interesting where this lady, her father died a year ago, and she on Facebook she decided that they're cleaning up the house and she listed a few things on her Facebook page that she wanted to sell. And she had no idea politically correct or anything else, but it hit her all of a sudden. Because a couple of the things that she listed, her father was a World War II veteran. And a couple of things were his war souvenirs. There were German medals, some German medals in there. They kicked them off. They wouldn't let her sell them. Then she put them on her Facebook page. Facebook kicked it off, sent her a message that it's not in keeping with their community standards. Uh, luckily, another collector noticed it and gave me a heads up, and I called her. And she said, you know what? I'm, I'm really fed up with this. I never realized how much control they have over it. These are war souvenirs. I'm not a Nazi. What are they doing? And then we started discussing it. So it's starting to affect the average mom pot kettle, people that weren't active before, that never really took notice of it. Now it's starting to affect them. And uh, right. it's interesting to see. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an easy, I mean, we're living in interesting times for sure. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Brassel. We're very excited to have him on the show. Uh, stay tuned, everybody. The Rory Sauter Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far that mixes the smoky with the sass of the south? Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country. For savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love, like chicken, shrimp, and cheese, just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey, flat iron steak, and the tastiest sizzling street foods. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. 
packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey. I tried the patch. They didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. And we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Listened to in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit my media site, thenexgenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people that will be doing their own shows on the network, and I can't wait to reveal all those details. A lot of big stuff. Um, I do want to welcome tonight uh, a very, very popular guy, um, our, our special guest, a famous doctor, motivational speaker entrepreneur and best-selling author, Dr. Danny, is it, is it Brassell? Did I, did I pronounce it correctly? Yeah, you got the wrong Danny here. <laughs> Danny, Danny Brassell, correct? No, I was just listening. I was wanting to ask a question. Okay, but well, you, I, I got, I clicked, I clicked you the got somebody else. Uh, D- Danny, do I have you on now? Do you have me on, Rory? Yeah, I do. Okay, famous doctor, motivational speaker, <laughs> entrepreneur, and best-selling author Danny Brassell. Uh, is it? Did I pronounce the last name right? It's Brassell, Rory, but don't worry about it. Nobody gets it right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it's so good to have you here. And uh, uh, sorry about a second ago, I, I clicked the wrong button. It was somebody uh, a different number. I clicked the wrong one. But it's your first time on. Uh, huge privilege. Uh, big fan of your work, been following you for many years. Uh, you've done a lot of great stuff. And like I do with all my guests, you know, when you first come up, when they first come on the show, I like to get, uh, you know, uh, details about their background, how it all started for you, where, how you got to where you are today, and all that good stuff. <laughs> well, first of all, Rory, thanks for your uh, for all your uh, compliments. I got to bring you uh, to. Inter- I have to introduce you to my wife. She would she'd be very fascinated by all you have to say about me. Uh, you're giving me a big head, so thank you for that, Rory. And actually, <laughs> what I really I really appreciate your show. I I think that uh, uh, I I used to be a history teacher, and uh, the first thing I always teach my students when I teach history is that history books are usually written by the winners. And every event in history has multiple points of view. And I think really, uh, and I've listened to a lot of your callers, I think it's really important that uh, people learn how to uh, offer different points of view and respectfully listen to one another. I think that's probably the biggest problem in society today is everybody thinks they're right. Nobody will listen to to other points of view. And uh, I I absolutely love uh, what you're doing. So thanks. Many kudos to you, Rory. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your uh, kind words. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I enjoy, I enjoy what I do. I, 
you know, my voice needs to be heard as well as all these other people. And, you know, we need to uh, stand up for our country. I mean, there's a lot of uh, scary things going on right now. <laughs> but there's always a lot of great things, too. And that's what I always very true. point out is uh, very, very, uh, true. very true. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I always tell people uh, if you really I, I'm blessed, Rory, I get to. I get to speak for a living and get paid for it. And I get to go yeah. all around the world. Um, and, the and really what you've been, done TEDx. I've done that. Yeah. All that good stuff. Uh, but uh, uh, what's been a real blessing is being able to uh, go all around America. I mean, um, I, I tell people that uh, until you travel, you don't realize how similar people are. I mean, uh, when it, when it boils down to it, I've been to the most conservative and most uh, liberal parts of America and, most Americans aren't aren't MSNBC or Fox News. Most Americans really want five things. They want uh, they want a good job. They want to be able to retire. They want good schools for their kids. They want the country to be safe, and they want the potholes fixed. And beyond that, it's a bunch of uh, mental garbage that just gets people riled up. And uh, I think we're a lot more similar than we are different. And so uh, it, that's why I think it's really important uh, the the service that you're providing as a forum. Uh, a lot of people are. Uh, are able to to speak their minds uh and you, you know i've always said that with my students i say you know you need a forum to speak your mind I, I think a lot of the problems is people are being shut up and uh i think if we talk things out we'd be a lot better off <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right so t tell us tell us about your career tell, tell us about uh you know how it all started for you how you got to where you were and all the great uh chapters and all the fulfillments I, and accomplishments I've been able to do lots of things throughout my life, Rory. Uh, uh, you know, uh, probably the the bulk of my career, the last 25 years, has been in education. Uh, I always tell people I've taught all grade levels from preschoolers all the way up to rocket scientists. I can make that claim because I used to teach English as a second language to engineering students at the University of Southern California. And uh, what I've learned is uh, what works with a, a high school student doesn't necessarily work with a kindergartner, but what works with a kindergartner works with all age levels. Uh, and uh, I, I, I now I've, I've served as a teacher, a professor, an administrator, and now I basically go around the world uh, motivating parents and, and teachers and administrators on uh, ways to really get kids excited about uh, reading. I think uh, reading has really the, always been the key. Uh, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I hated reading. I always just watched TV. Uh, all my book reports were based on movie versions. And uh, it wasn't until uh, I, I became a teacher and, and uh, I spent the bulk of my career teaching in um, the inner city in South Central Los Angeles. And I saw a lot of my students didn't have access to the, the materials that I took for granted when I was growing up. And it kind of made me feel ashamed of myself, Rory, that uh, here I was. I was blessed. I had uh, my mother and father were both in the home, uh, married for 40 years. Uh, uh, we had lots of books in our home. Uh, I mean, we weren't, uh, we weren't wealthy by any means. We were very middle class, but we were a very solid family unit. And uh, a lot of kids don't have that privilege. And uh, so one of the things I love about uh, working with kids is, say, is that uh, books are a great escape for a lot of people. Um, and uh, really the programs that I, I've created for, uh, for teachers and parents are basically, I think schools do a decent job of teaching kids how to read. 
But the question I always ask people is what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach basically to, to why to read. I want to, to get people motivated to read more. And uh, one of the things I admire about your listeners, I'm hearing a lot of them are talking about different articles they've read. And uh, that's really important. You need to be informed and you need to, you need to write, read a, a variety of different sources. Yeah. And I mean, we look at, you know, how, how you know, you, you, you study, you study this stuff for a living in terms of people's brains and, you know, how they operate and, and you know, how they react to things and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, and speaking of reading, you see all this, all the fake news that is going around in today's society. Uh, describe, can you describe like, uh, obviously it's affecting people badly because they're getting misinformed, but you know, what, what, it, what it really does to somebody. I mean, I mean, if, you know, somebody, you know, is getting misguided and doesn't even know what they're reading, but you know, they, they repeat it and they think it's true. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. I, I think that, uh, I mean, before I was a teacher, I was a journalist and uh, I covered President Bush uh, Sr. when he was president. And um, it, really one of the reasons I left journalism was because uh, there was a press conference I was doing and, and six of my colleagues wrote the lead. And I looked at their leads and I was like, man, he didn't say anything that was that newsworthy. And they were they were just uh, kind of bagging on him. And I was like, wow, that's not I became a, a journalist because I want to be Charles Kuralt and do all these stories around America, just celebrating all the, the great people of the country. And I just see that uh, there's so many people, and I, I just see an abundance of it today where people are just trashing one another. Um, and, and really what I always advise to people, I don't really think there's such a thing as fake news. I think what there is is people that only read one news source. I mean, uh, if you if you only watch MSNBC, you're going to have a very specific point of view. Same thing with Fox. You're going to have a very specific point of view. Uh, I think yeah. it's important to, to look at a variety of different sources and consider, consider – yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't think you have to agree with some things. Um, my pastor yesterday said something wonderful in his sermon. He said um, – uh, the two biggest problems in America today is just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. And just because I love you doesn't mean I always agree with you. And I thought, wow, that's a really great way of saying that is uh, I've always told people, you know, we need to learn how to be able to disagree with one another without being disagreeable to one another. And, uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to always tell my students, you can't win an argument. You can only win an agreement and uh, we got to be civil and, uh, um, I was taught by a teacher long ago is that whenever I started to shout at that was when I was losing the argument is, uh, and I, I see a lot of hotheads now on, on both sides of the media. And I'm like, you're not making a point. If you're just screaming, uh, let's have a, a civil discussion and, uh, uh, let people actually use their brains to, to make their own decisions. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And rewinding just a little bit, you, you mentioned that you, you did some work for, for Bush senior, so you were involved with mm -hmm. politics early on? I was a journalist. Well, so the, I, before I was a teacher, I was involved in, in journalism, and I was also uh, I was a staffer on Capitol Hill. And my experience on Capitol Hill, and I think you'll get a kick out of this, Rory, is um, when I was in high school, I worked at a, a health club, and I cleaned toilets. And if I ever had the choice between cleaning toilets and working on Capitol Hill again, I would no doubt go back to cleaning toilets because I just found so many nasty people on Capitol Hill, uh, self-absorbed uh, on both sides, and I just didn't want to be around that. 
Oh, I hear, I hear you. Uh, obviously, the environment is, is very hostile, very, very cynical, right? Yeah, very. And, and, and you know, and it's it's gotten worse. I mean, 30 years ago, um, I used to love going to the Senate. Um, you, there, were, there used to be so many stage people in the Senate where you'd have uh, uh, a person like uh, Senator Bob Dole from Kansas, who's really, a, I mean, there's very few American heroes that are still alive, and Bob Dole is truly an American hero. And uh, I remember during the uh, it was a, Clinton was going to shut down the government uh, over the budget and Senator Dole got on the floor and he said, you know, uh, uh, the first the first budget that the president sent us, he wanted us to hang ourselves. And now he sends us this budget. And not only does he want us to hang ourselves, but he wants us to supply the rope. You supply the rope, Mr. Pratt. I just thought it was the funniest argument. He was such a great speaker. I, I just got a kick out of him. And uh, there was like Fritz Hollings from South Carolina. He was a senator for 40 years, and he was always the junior senator because Strom Thurmond was a senator at the same time, and he'd been there forever. Um, and you just don't see that anymore. I, you used to see these debates where uh, they would scream at one another, and they'd say something like, I completely disagree with the honorable gentleman from Kentucky. And I always liked that they always ended with, the honorable gentleman from wherever uh, now they they call each other names that's not that's not fun to me that it's just you're losing your argument when you when you lose your temper um i miss that but uh you know times change that's what we have to that's how i know i'm getting old <laughs> well let, let me ask you this let me ask you this so uh obviously i take it you know you're 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 uh, a conser- conservative correct I am a contrarian, Rory. It's if I'm in a room full of Democrats, I like to play the conservative, and if I'm in a room full of conservatives, I like to play the Democrat. <laughs> do you now? Let me let me ask you. You know how how do you think President Trump has done, in your opinion? Do you think he's done a pretty good job? What what's your thoughts? Well, I I, I don't know about endorsing any kind of candidate. What I I think is really important is. Uh, the, the politics is one thing. Um, again, one of your listeners was referring to the Bible, and I, I, you know, reading's my thing. And I always tell people, if you haven't read anything, the Bible's a good place to start. And right. uh, if you read, if you read First Corinthians about uh, Jesus talking about love, I mean, I, I think Jesus is pretty much a pretty good example for anybody to go on. And uh, uh, if you ever listen to Jesus, he was always uh, a pretty cool guy. He was always talking about love. And he was always talking about humility. And uh, I think those are the qualities I look for in leaders is people that uh, uh, are, are demonstrating love and humility. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, at the same point, I was reading in the newspaper today that um, uh, the, the president went to uh, a church in Virginia uh, yesterday and the, yep. uh, the, pastor, uh, the pastor prayed for President Trump. And he took a lot of heat over that because people viewed it as an endorsement. And I'm like, my goodness, folks. I mean, gosh, the president shows up at your church. I don't care what your political point of view is. You know, it's the president of the United States. Let's pray for the president. I mean, I think all of us should be able to agree that whether or not you, you like the president, we should all be praying for the president because his success is our success. I think too many of us are, are trying to create tribes and I think the most important tribe that we should keep in mind is uh, America, that uh, this this country is the greatest country that ever was. And uh, 
And uh, I, I think it's great because we have people with different points of view. But uh, while we might disagree with one another, uh, we got to respect one another and uh, gosh, show a little bit of common courtesy. I mean, uh, w- whether or not you, you liked President Trump, you should pray for the president. I, I, I would hope that we could start from there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very, very, very well said. And, you know, a, as a doctor, what do you see as some of the biggest social issues that we are facing in our country right now? I mean, you see how political correctness has taken over. You see how people think there's 100 different genders. Uh, you see how what, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, the Bible is considered now bad from certain people's eyes. I mean, there's so many different things that are off the wall, you know. Well, I think that's where education comes in. This is my passion, Rory, is education, is you have to be exposed to different things, is that uh, uh, I have found that uh, most misunderstanding is because people don't have any kind of um, uh, of a relationship with different types of or people. Or they're getting caught uh, by the wrong people. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like social media. People will sit there and spout off on, on Twitter or Snapchat or whatever – um, and I'm like, but would you, and it's, it's kind of like people in their cars, people will cut you off in their car, but would they do the same thing if they were walking in front of you? And I, you know, uh, let's try and I, I, I loved it. Uh, I was watching the Memorial golf tournament this past weekend and, uh, Martin Keimer, uh, the German golfer, uh, was in the lead on Friday. And he was saying that he never reads social media during a tournament because he's like, well, what good is it going to do? It's just going to be a lot of negative people. And he said he was in line at Starbucks the other day, and literally the 10 people in front of him all had their faces, their heads down looking at their phones, and none of them were present in the moment. I think so many of us are are just consumed with uh, social media. And uh, I mean, I, I with my students, I used to call them idiots because I'd say, you don't know what to do without a video screen in front of you. You know, we need to learn how to uh, be able to look one another in the eye and and uh, listen to one another. Again, I, I don't care if people agree with me. I've, I've never told a student they have to agree with me. What I, I do ask my students to do is to, to consider a point of view. And uh, you know, look at the look at opposite points of view. A great book that I always love to recommend to people by uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin is called Team of Rivals. This is something every politician in America should read right now. Uh, President Lincoln, ha- have you read this book, Rory? I have. I have not. Please, please, oh, enlighten uh, me. You gotta read. You gotta read it. So this is a true story. President Lincoln, when he became president, he took all of his political rivals and he made them his cabinet. And it's not an overstatement to say it would be the equivalent of President Trump Trump, um, uh, naming Hillary Clinton his secretary of state. This is basically what Lincoln did. He took all of his biggest rivals and he made them his cabinet. And all these guys hated Lincoln's guts. And by the time Lincoln was assassinated, they were all inconsolable. They're like, we've lost the greatest leader. And one of my favorite – Political quotes of all time came from President Lincoln. He said, I know the greatest way to defeat my enemies. I shall make them my friends. And I just think, wow, I I really wish uh, more people would uh, consider that kind of point of view. You can't do much better than Lincoln, though. Uh, uh, Lincoln was pretty darn good. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I hear you. And I'm I'm just I've been I'm reading over your your bio and, it, you know, I'm going through just all the things you've been through. Throughout, throughout your life, you've, you've had so much. It says you were an assistant to a U.S. congressman. I, I know you told us about Capitol Hill. Who, who was the congressman you were the assistant to? 
I, I won't name a name, but it was a uh, it was a Republican congressman from Colorado. He was a really good man. Very nice. And you, in, I, you know, I'll go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say it was kind of interesting because my time on Capitol Hill, in general, I would say that the elected officials were actually pretty good people, all of them. Where the problem I saw was was the staffers were all these vicious people, and both sides. And uh, uh, it was interesting because it made me it made me against term limits because uh, at least with a term a term limit limits the elected official, but the staffers are on the Hill for 40 years and those people aren't even elected. And we were given thumbs up and thumbs down to the congressman before he went out to vote. And that, that always scared me. I've been reading up on this. Uh, uh, I think the way we should do it is like the Greeks. So my, my, my proposal is the way we should vote for all offices from, from the president on down is it should be the eighth caller to the radio station or whoever the eighth caller is, that should be that the, the elected official, you know, be like, uh, you're, you're the eighth caller. You're now uh, president of the United States. And the guy's like, uh, well, do I still get the Def Leppard tickets? Yeah. Yeah. But you're also leader of the free world. And it, it sounds kind of funny, but it's actually based on historical precedent. That's basically the way the Greeks did it. The Greeks being in Congress is basically like jury duty. You were just signed for two years. And I thought that's actually a pretty good idea because then you take all the money out of it is, I, I think probably the biggest problem in, in politics is there's so much money involved. So here's a, here's a trivia question for you, Rory. Uh, in 2012, the uh, presidential election between President Obama and, uh, and Governor Romney, between the two of them, they spent $4 billion for an office that pays $400,000 a year, the President of the United States. So in 1980, just a mere 32 years earlier, between uh, President Carter and then Governor Reagan, between the two of them, how much did they pay for, the, for running for President of the United States? Take a guess. I, I can't guess. Please tell me. Okay. The answer is zero because it was publicly financed. They didn't used to allow people to just put in all this money. It was just publicly financed. And I'm like, wow, that's a total difference. You know, now – uh, and, and it's a total it's, – it's a, it's a fault with the system is that uh, there's so much money in it, and even if the candidates aren't raising the money, you have so many special interest groups on both sides uh, throwing in all these political ads and things, and, and all of us are at fault about that. Uh, you know, uh, if you ever hear journalism get on its high horse about money in politics, I say, okay, we'll just stop accepting political advertising. And they, they would never do that because that's a, a bulk of their uh, their revenue. So everybody's at fault on it. Uh, uh, but that's that's the kind of thing I love. Uh, I love one of my uh, old professors in, in Washington, D.C. was a journalism professor by the name of Charles Lewis. He runs the uh, Center for Public Integrity. And every four years he comes out with a, a book called uh, The Buying of the President. And it basically shows you the top 10 donors to uh, every presidential candidate and who owns them. And it was fascinating. Uh, in 1996, uh, which was the election between Senator Dole and uh, President Clinton, uh, both of them, their top donor was the same donor. It was Ernest and Julio Gallo. And in 19, I think it was 1997, uh, Congress passed a law that uh, raised a luxury tax on all luxury items like fur coats and alcohol and uh, tobacco, uh, but all alcohol except for California wines, 
and I'm like, wow, that was money well spent by the Gallo family. Uh, so you, you just see it. it, it it's, it's just the hypocrisy in the system drives me nuts. And so uh, right. that's why, but that's my, that's my, man, that's my man on the street attitude on how to fix politics uh, is the, yeah. is get rid of the money. Just, just name people, you know, you can, you'd have a, a housewife and a truck driver. You'd get a better uh, cross section of the population as opposed to a whole bunch of lawyers. Yeah. And no, you're absolutely right. And, and I'm, I'm looking at everything you've done. You've, you've authored over 50 articles for newspapers that are, in big newspapers, stuff like the USA Today, the Los Angeles Times. You've published 14 books. You've shared the stage with your speeches with some of the biggest people, biggest names in the industry. You've traveled to all these different countries. You've helped millions of students here and overseas. I mean, amazing stuff, man. Yeah, thank you, Rory. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, it, you know, d- describe, though, these books, all the books you've written. Uh, d- d- explain those. Well, according to my wife, I write the kind of books that none of your listeners would want to read about. <laughs> A lot of academic things on uh, how to teach kids how to read, uh, reading strategies. Uh, actually, uh, the book, I-, I wanted to give this to you and to everybody in your audience is uh, – uh, if you go to freereadingtraining.com, I want to give everybody a copy of my book, uh, Read, Lead, and Succeed. It's a, a book I wrote for a principal who didn't know how to engage his faculty. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. And so once a week, I give you a concept. I give you an inspirational quote. I give you an inspirational story, uh, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but most of us are too lazy because we're adults. So I also give you a children's picture book that uh, recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. Uh, you can read that in five minutes. Uh, it's meant to really, um, I, again, the reason I had become a journalist was because uh, I want to be Charles Kuralt and, and pray, you know, do all those great stories about all the, the little people around America. The other person that had a, a tremendous influence on my life was uh, on the radio, a guy by the name of Paul Harvey. Uh, I, I could just listen to Paul Harvey all day. He always gave his rest of the story, which was always a, a great little uh a uh, two-minute anecdote about somebody, and uh, I, I, I think all of us need a lot more inspiration. There's so many uh, damaging uh, negative stuff out there, and I'm like, you know, people, life's too short, man. I want to, I, I want to see a lot more people smiling and excited, and uh, uh, so that's my gift to everybody in your audience. Just go to freereadingtraining.com. They'll get a copy of that book plus. Uh, there's a couple of digital audio trainings that I offer there, which uh, is great for anybody that's a parent out there that, that has a kid that doesn't like to read. I, I, I teach people how to get their kids to love reading because the, the more we read, the, the more informed all of us are, and we'll be, we'll be much better off the more informed we are. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it, it also says that you've appeared in several TV shows and film projects and you even have your own radio program and – which is very impressive. Uh, the lazy you founded the Lazy Readers Book Club in 2003, which Google ranked the number one site for cool short book recommendations. That yeah, was kind of funny, Rory. Um, uh, I've always recommended books to. I've already recommended uh, a book to you on the show. It's just something I love to do. Is to I always try and find out what people are interested in, and I try and find a book that'll they'll match their interest. And so many of my students were interested in them. They asked me to give them uh, book recommendations, and so I created LazyReaders.com. So if any of your uh, listeners want to, if they go to LazyReaders.com, it's a free subscription. Once a month for the rest of your life, I give you 10 book recommendations, three or four adult level, 
three or four young adult level, and three or four children's level books, all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a meeting or at the doctor's office or something. Uh, I'm always trying to encourage people to read. And, and when, you know, the book I had recommended earlier to you, Team of Rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Now, that's a lengthy book. That's about a 600-page book. And I think this is the reason a lot of us don't read is that's what we think reading is. is it's got to be a 600-page book. But I always tell people, you know, a comic book is a book. You can read a comic book. And uh, people think I'm crazy, but when I do trainings with corporate audiences, I ask all these executives in suits, what was your favorite book growing up? And Rory, I'll tell you, at least 70% of the audience will say Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Superman. I mean, comic books count. Um, you know, a lot of your listeners, I, I'm always listening to them, are, are, uh, are citing uh, things that they've read in newspapers or in blog posts or something. That, that's reading. <laughs> A lot of people think that people don't read anymore, and I'm like, gosh, I actually think people are reading a lot more because electronic media is, is so quick, uh, and people yeah. uh, just want to get that real quick boost of uh, endorphins into their brain. So I, I think people are actually reading more. Not le- I was with a fourth grader, and his teacher told me he doesn't like to read, and I was with mm-hmm. that kid for less than an hour, Rory, and in less than an hour – he had texted about 10 friends. He'd sent five or six emails. He had, he'd been cruising, surfing the internet. I'm like, the kid's highly literate. He's using a definition from 75 years ago. So uh, there's lots of different ways to, to read. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy that likes actual books. My wife, she loves her Kindle. And even though I'm not a Kindle reader, I can make the argument for Kindle. I mean, um, I'll give you three great reasons why Kindle's awesome. First of all, uh, my wife is from Singapore, and so whenever we fly back to see her family, uh, I have to pack about 20 books in my bag, and she packs her little one-pound, six-ounce Kindle, which has access to the entire world's library. Uh, second of all, at night, it drives my wife crazy because I have my lamp on because I have to read by the light. She doesn't have to do that because her Kindle lights up on its own. And then finally, you know, uh, I I'm getting on in years. My eyesight isn't what it used to be. I can't read a lot of the text in a lot of the books I'm reading. She never has that problem because on the Kindle, you can adjust the font size. So, I mean, there's lots of different ways. It's pretty much systematic. It's symbolic of everything we're talking about is, uh, you know, people only look at one point of view and I'm like, well, you have to look at different points of view. I mean, I, I, I'm still a a paper book guy, but uh, the way I've gotten a lot of kids excited about reading is by using electronics. And uh, I mean, I had a, when I taught second grade, I had a first grade boy named Kiara. And uh, according to Kiara's first grade teacher, she said, Kiara don't know nothing. And I'm like, well, thank you for that. Well, Kiara, who didn't know nothing, would come into my classroom and he'd be like, hey, Miss Purcell, you see Barkley last night? He had 18 points and 16 boards. I'm like, thank you, Kiara. Because from that point on, I knew that he loved basketball. And so every every day after lunch, I'd sit him on my lap, and we'd read the L.A. Times sports page, and that's how I got Kiara reading. And by the end of the year, he was one of my best readers, and all that kid ever read about was was basketball. Now, do I think all you should be reading about is basketball? No, but I can tell you that the person who reads about basketball is going to be a better reader than the person that's not reading anything. And so, again, I'm – I'm always trying to figure out what, what's going to get a person interested in reading, and then we can expand their horizons beyond that. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. I do want to get some thoughts from the panel, but before I do, um, I do have a, a last question for you. Um, Great. You know, 
we we look at we look at the the whole uh, you know situation with socialism and how it's failed so many countries. And you grew up a, a very motivated, hardworking uh, young man, and, and you started working from what I read at a very young age. Um, and obviously, you've been to other countries where socialism has badly failed. What what would you say to people that have the mindset? Uh, of socialism and have this whole entitlement uh, mindset that they think they're owed everything and have everything handed to them on a platter rather than work for it like the old traditional ways. So the only thing that you're owed in this country is an opportunity. As long as you have a fair chance, that's all our Constitution guarantees you. I mean, I've worked my tail off since I was a little kid, and I think that's uh, the great. If people don't believe that they live in socialism right now, they're crazy. I I always love that because I'm like, well, People say, oh, they tax you 60% of your wages in Sweden. I'm like, well, how much do they tax you in America? I mean, because you pay an income tax, you pay a tax on your home, you pay a tax on gas, you pay a tax on food. I mean, they hide the taxes. If there's one efficient form of government, it's the IRS. They're going to get their money. I, I always tell people that. And then people right. think we live in a capital. People think we live in a capitalist society. I'm like, well, really, if, if we really live in a truly capitalistic society, let the foreign airlines come and do domestic routes in America. I mean, I guarantee you, if you start letting Lufthansa and Emirates and British Air and KLM and uh, all these different airlines do the New York to L.A. run, that's one way to get Delta, United, and American to upgrade the, the, the service that they provide people. I mean, we don't live in true capitalism. We don't live in true socialism. Uh, you know, it, it always cracks me. I mean, people think China's communist. I'm like, give me a break. I mean, China's more capitalist in many ways than America. I mean, you just have to go there. And uh, uh, this is a crazy statistic. There's twice as many Starbucks in Beijing as there are in Manhattan. Uh, I mean, you go to China and it's in, in some cities, it's, it's, you, you wouldn't know the difference between China and, and Los Angeles. And so, uh, uh, again, that gets to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. I think people have to, to travel. I, I mean, if I was president, I'd give everybody 10 grand to travel abroad because there's two things that happen when you travel outside the United States. First of all, you get to have a better perspective of how the rest of the world operates. And second of all, you start to really realize all the things we take for granted. I mean, when I when I uh, taught my, my ESL students at USC, I always ask them, what's the thing that impresses you the most about America? And Rory, this will freak you out. This was always the answer, always the answer. They always said, it's amazing that you're allowed to criticize your leaders without going to prison. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was the thing that what stood out the, the most to them? I'm like, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, this is something – whether it's Obama or Trump or Bush or Clinton, I mean, this is like our God-given right is to gripe about whoever's in office and make fun of them. Uh, but in most countries, if you do that, you go to prison. And it's, it's, that's just like one basic little fundamental right that we totally take for granted. Uh, I, I have, I've been doing a lot of business in India, and I tell people our poor people are so much better off than poor people in India. I mean, they have drinking yeah. water. They have, I mean – like there, I'm not saying we're perfect. We're not. We have so many issues, and and they they require a, a very sophisticated debate. But perspective. I, I when people gripe to me about certain things, I'm like, that's a third world. That's a first world problem. I mean, you got to go to the third world. Uh, my, my wife and I were griping the other day because we didn't have very good Wi-Fi access. And I'm like, well, this is a first world problem. I mean, there's people that don't have enough to eat, you know, uh, and so 
I, I think that's really important for all of us is to, to gain perspective. And again, I, if people don't want to travel, that's another one of the things I love about books is you can you can take a vacation with a good book and uh, you don't ever have to go to the White House, but you can study about the different occupants in the White House. Uh, uh, I, I'm a huge, you know, my my dad, those were my, my bedtime stories was his he was a, uh, a presidential historian. So I, I know lots about presidents and legislatures and things like that. And it's it's just an incredible story, the story of America. So it's something to be very proud of. And uh, again, I, I really wish people would realize that uh, rather than putting us in different tribes against one another, which is what a lot of people want us to do, I think we have to always remember that uh, we're Americans. We don't have to agree with one another, but gosh, we got to stand. We're family, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Daryl, Daryl, go ahead. Yeah, so very, very interesting topics and, and conversation, and I think it's terrific what you've done to spread literacy. It's a little bit of a personal note about myself. Growing up, you know, I just did not have the patience to physically sit down and, and read books, and that is something that's very symptomatic of you know my generation and the later generations. I'm I'm 32 myself, and it set me at a, a bit of a disadvantage. I sort of absorbed literary concepts and ideas through way of osmosis and sort of uh, snickered my way through college by going online and Wikipediaing various uh, uh, things and didn't really take it seriously until really my last year or two in college. Uh, and then, then in my early 20s, I identified access to audiobooks through my, through my, uh, my iPhone. And I started downloading dozens and dozens of books a year. And at this point, I have something like 320 books, audiobooks on my phone. And I listen to it while I drive. I listen to them while I'm flying. Uh, you know, some nonfiction, and some courses. I've downloaded uh, high level college courses, lectures rather, for like 40 or $50. And, you know, post, post I don't know. 15, 16 years of education, uh, my, my literacy went from probably honestly having read maybe a dozen legitimate books to having basically absorbed uh, several hundred books. And I think it's interesting that uh, I think that you make a, a great point about utilizing technology to absorb liter literature in a, in a different way. I, I always have some uh, concern, and I, I reflect on my own. Uh, I wonder if we've we've lost something that you know. This was something where college students, fifty or sixty years ago, to to be considered an educated individual, you had to sit down and, and do hard reading. You had to open textbooks and read hundreds of pages a week, and that is completely gone. And you know, I, I'm not one to lecture on that because I, I didn't undergo that myself. Uh, so there's a little bit of a balance. I think it's I think it's an interesting conversation, rather, in terms of have we lost something uh, with this? You know, we have this situation now with the internet where maybe you don't need to read a hundred pages because the the specific data and information that you need is is available through you know a, a quick google search and you have the question of uh you know the content on the internet and, and how well vetted is it so it's a larger and interesting conversation so i, I definitely appreciate 
everything that you've done to spread literature, uh, literacy rather, obviously a very important thing, and I think it's it's an interesting topic. Uh, I, I do think that there's been an erosion in general literacy. I, I, I think that, uh, for example, many college professors lack functional grammatical skill. You know, I, I certainly don't consider myself an educated individual. I consider myself someone that has basically a, a basic level of functional literacy that should be required for uh, civil discourse. And what I find is that I often encounter people with degrees from Brown University and Harvard and Yale. You know, we have people, and I don't want to beat up so much on AOC. It's very trite, but uh, you know, this woman is is functionally illiterate, and she she basically uh, her brain is she she is full of things that are completely nonsensical, and she has a degree from Brown University. Um, and you encounter people in common common jobs and do not know how to speak proper English, do not know how to compose a proper sentence. And you know, I, I, to me, it's disturbing when I look around. I'm saying I'm a guy who read a dozen books by the time I graduated high school, and you know, I'm the only one that seems to possess basic English. So and I think one thing that I that I look to a lot is that King's English is is a terrific language and it, it allows uh, remarkable specificity. And uh, I worry that we've that we've lost that and and I'd like to see a return to that. I, I don't I don't want to feel like the most literate person in the room when you know I had a, a very uh, uh, mediocre academic career, certainly through probably the first dozen or so years of it. So definitely appreciate what you're done and, and would just like to hear your thoughts back on, on my thoughts on that. First of all, Daryl, can you hear me, Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh, first of all, kudos to you. You know, one of the things that annoys me so much is when I hear a person that brags to me that they got some Ivy league degree and that was the last time they read a book. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, I, I wish you had been my student so long ago, because I, I think of how many years were wasted with a traditional education where I bet you I could have gotten you totally hooked on books uh, at a very early age. And what I love that you had said, Daryl, is you have over 320 audio books on your phone. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I, I tell people, if you want to look at the research, uh, the research is very clear on this. Uh, uh, being read aloud to and listening to it is just as good as reading on your own. And if you look at the, the list of the Fortune 500 CEOs, uh, it's nearly half of them are dyslexic. And really one of the ways you work with dyslexic students is uh, they, they decipher information a lot better when it's, when it's read to them. And so I think that's a great – I'm not saying you were dyslexic, Daryl. I mean, no, but it's still a great – it's a great way to, uh, to really um, – uh, stimulate your your brain. Uh, I agree with you on the internet. I think uh, most of us just have too short. I just read a, I just read something on the internet. Uh, ironically, uh, that uh, I believe um, the presidential debate in um, nineteen. It was sometime in the sixties. I, I don't quote me on it. It was it was one of the presidential debates in the sixties where. Uh, uh, the it was kind of like a focus group. So you know how uh, Frank Lutz, the uh, the pollster for Fox, he does uh, focus groups. Uh, I think Frank right. Lutz is fantastic. Um, and his this focus group back in the '60s, they found that the the typical person in that focus group had an attention span of about 68 seconds when a when a candidate was speaking. 
And in this last election between um, President Trump and uh, Secretary of State Clinton, uh, I believe Frank Lutz found that it, it, it had dropped down to under seven seconds. And that's that's a big problem is that people are just thinking in sound bites. And I think that goes to your point that uh, people aren't reading the whole book anymore. They're just reading a blog post on it. And I, I really loved your point about uh, the erosion in, in general liter- literacy. Um, you know, uh, I remember when, uh, gosh, my dream, my dream political t- ticket of all time was in 96. I wanted uh, Storm and Norman, uh, General Schwarzkopf and Colin Powell to be on a ticket together. I just thought, oh, this would be great. Uh, Storm and Norman, I loved it. Uh, here he was, uh, a, a hero for the Persian Gulf War, and yet uh, he could speak four languages and he could quote Shakespeare off the top of his head. And that's the type of uh, thing that you're talking about is that you just don't find people that can sit there and off the top of their head recite poetry or Shakespeare or, uh, you know, it cracks me up. The Constitution is only a four-page document, and I, I, I doubt that almost any member of Congress has ever actually read the Constitution of the United States. There's a great scene in the movie uh, Quiz Show. If you ever see the movie Quiz Show, Daryl, uh, uh, there's this scene between Ray Fiennes as the son and Paul Schofield is his father, and they play this game where uh, one of them will start off a verse and from from some great piece of literature, and the other one will finish it. And I'm like, wow, where is that anymore? Uh, my my father used to do that with us kids. Was he would tell us stories, and so then we had to tell him, you know, oh, who's this person in history? And uh, it's a bummer. We don't really have that. And I, I completely agree with you that uh, the dumbification of America. You'll you'll see uh, uh, a lot of uh, prestigious sounding people that uh, their grammar is pathetic, and it's it's insulting. Uh, <laughs> I completely agree with that. So, so Daryl, we maybe maybe it's got to start with you and me. We'll 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 try and model it for everybody else. Uh, but I I I'm so proud of you. I I think that uh, what Mark Twain was right. He said, "Don't let school get in the way of your education." And uh, you know, your your life's not finished. You're just starting your learning. So uh, you're, you're exactly uh, my my poster boy for for the value of reading and listening to good books and really uh that's what i love about podcasts like or i mean to me this is just as good as reading a book you get to listen to differing opinions and uh, uh yeah. i always love just hearing different different points of view and 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 figuring out uh uh where the strengths and the weaknesses are in those points of view and the strengths and weaknesses in my own points of view so, so th- thank you so much for sharing that daryl i love i love your journey and you keep on doing it Hey, thank, thank you very much, sir. Real, uh, real pleasure speaking with you. Wish you a lovely evening. Thank you. God bless. Kevin, go ahead. Hiya. So I could definitely relate to a lot of uh, Daryl's early experiences with reading. I found that uh, ever since the beginning of uh, my youth and uh, learning to read, uh, I was pushed all these different books. Um, but the common theme with these books were they were of uh, – fiction, essentially. They were fantasy. They were completely detached from reality for the most part. And I I never really had an interest in any of these uh, just confabulations and uh, just make-believe. And I I really struggled with uh, reading throughout my life. Couldn't couldn't focus on it, didn't care about it. Um, But uh, I was always a very studious uh, kid. I was always in advanced placement uh, throughout uh, my school career. Um, and it wasn't until I was 15, I was uh, essentially in uh, 11th grade of high school, and I was in advanced placement calculus. Well, this calculus class was just really rough, terrible 
uh, professor or teacher, so I, I dropped it. And uh, when you drop a class, you have to take what's called a, a, a reading period. So you, you're stuck in the library, and uh, the only resources you really get is these library resources. So uh, spending this period just in this library and reading was actually, it turned out, out of all of the classes that I spent in advanced placement in school, this on my own reading period was by far the, the most uh, uh, important class uh, to me. And I, I think a lot of people can relate to this in, in some sense, um, and not just for a reading period. I mean, we even have great thinkers and even politicians that go through a similar experience. Uh, one that I want to bring up is uh, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, the Republican uh, last presidential uh, candidate. And uh, so, I mean, he was raised in complete poverty by a literate single mother who only had a third grade education. But uh, because she had forced him to read two books every week, you know, uh, and uh, just go to the library and study, uh, she essentially raised a, a brain surgeon, uh, some absolute scholar, and that was done entirely just through the public resources of a, a library card. I think many people could relate with this. And uh, I found that in my time in, in the library, I really got to uh, build my uh, ideology, my, my character, and really uh, strive for what I was interested in. And so I found that uh, a lot of people don't really get this experience, uh, I noticed. And uh, especially nowadays that we have people that aren't even interested in uh, a particular topic. They're going into college as uh, an undeclared major, and uh, they, they switch around majors. They don't really know what they want to do, or if they don't even like go into um, college in, in many cases because they're, they're just unsure about themselves. And so I, I really... Uh, congratulate what uh, you're doing to inspire the, the literacy, but at the same time, I, I really want to question you more about your theory about having uh, opposing viewpoints within your, your same cabinet, as you brought up with the Abraham Lincoln analogy, uh, because that I found that, what I find right now, especially in the modern day, is you have all the institutions, all the publication companies, all these different uh, big money sources that are telling you what to believe. Uh, you see it all over social media, you see with big think and uh, corporations, I mean, all over the place, really, they tell you what to think. And so we, we lose this, essentially this uh, self-determination and the ability to pursue what you want to pursue and not what these corporations or, or political groups want you to pursue. So um, I would find that uh, as me t taking this reading period or t and now advancing it to uh, you know, every week that I, I do a similar kind of process, and formulate my ideology that I become a, a leader in some of my especially political ideologies, and I want to share that with the world. So um, I, I started a group called Nationalists United that's entirely dedicated to the idea that I'm bringing together people that are united in ideology, that we all believe relatively the, the same thing so we could work in an active, united force for what we believe in. And I, I truly do not believe that there is any way that you could bring along people that are opposing to your ideologies and expect uh, a positive uh, outcome, just like what we saw after the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln was killed. We had Democrat President Johnson take over. He created the Reconstruction and completely democratized the, the South and you know made Jim Crow laws and uh, ter terrible Democrat, almost uh, socialist uh, activities took place. And I, I think that if 
someone was a Republican in that position that took over after Abraham Lincoln, the country would be in, in much better shape. Was it was it Kevin? Oh yes, Kevin, man, gosh, I love that. Uh, God, again, I wish you'd been my student because I just hear this too uh, too much. Just um, I always tell people, four out of five struggling and reluctant readers growing up, it's usually boys because. Uh, you said you have so many, especially in elementary school, it's 96 percent of the teachers for K2 are, are female. And I'm not saying Little Women is not is is a bad book because I, I think Little Women is a fantastic book, but it's not the book that's going to get a lot of little boys excited about reading. Uh, when you were talking about they pushed books on you, a lot of fiction. All I could think of was uh, how they made me in high school read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And that book just bored me to tears. I, you know, they say Esther. Hester Prince, she had to wear an A for adultery on on her breast, and I'm like, I need to wear a B for board on my head. It was driving me nuts, and uh, uh, I could just relate to everything you were saying, Kevin. I'll give you a great book recommendation. It really changed my life. If 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 somebody had given me again, I think the way you do this is you just find find out what the student's passionate about and just give them books like that. And I, I always say this. I was just with a mom the other day and she was worried because her, her boy only reads Captain Underpants. And I said, you know, your son, as long as he reads Captain Underpants, he's going to be a better reader than the kid that's not reading anything. I mean, uh, Captain Underpants is basically your gateway drug to Shakespeare. You got to get him hooked first. Um, there was a book that I read that I'm totally going to recommend to you, Kevin. I love it. You'll love it. It's called uh, The Killer Angels by Michael Shera. Have you ever read that one? No, but I'd love to. Oh, gosh. So it won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973. If I had read this book in high school, I would have been a history major. So it's about the Battle of Gettysburg. And uh, it's written from different points of view from the, uh, the northern and the southern uh, uh, officers. And have you ever heard of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain? Uh, not sure. Okay. So you and I are, are people that are, we're lifelong learners. We're, we're involved, you know, we, we both, uh, we, we both want to learn constantly. So I had never heard of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain either. So Chamberlain was basically a, a professor of theology at uh, Bowdoin College in Maine. And during the Civil War, he decided it was his duty to enlist. And so he's put he's put second in command of this platoon. And right before the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, his superior is promoted to another platoon. And so they put him in charge of his platoon before Gettysburg. And his first order is there's basically 130 Irish deserters and he's supposed to execute them. And so Chamberlain gets in front of these deserters. And he gives this King Henry V speech where he's like, you know, I'm supposed to kill you. I'm not going to shoot you. Um, if you want to come with us, I want you to come. I want you to fight with us. Uh, if you don't want to fight, you're coming no matter what. But you don't have to fight, but you're coming. And he gives him this speech where he's like, you know, hey, I think this is the, this is the battle. It's going to totally change this war. And I want to be able to tell my grandkids that I fought with you and and." shared shared this moment of glory with you he gives this awesome pep talk and so of the 130 uh deserters 124 of them say okay we're gonna we're gonna stick with you and so basically chamberlain he's got about 300 men and he's supposed to hold the flank now before i read this book i didn't know anything about military terminology but basically the flank is the south is going to be charging against him and if he doesn't hold the flank the entire northern army is exposed 
And so it's basically Chamberlain and his 300 men against 9,000 Southerners charging after him. And so all of his men, they're, they're down to their last shot. And so they look at Chamberlain. What are we to do? And Chamberlain takes out his, uh, his saber and he says, bayonets. And these guys are all pumped on adrenaline. They put on their bayonets and he's like, charge. And he runs down the hill. And Chamberlain and his 300 men get 9,000 Southerners to surrender. This is a true event in American history. So Chamberlain gets shot in the foot in, in the meantime. And so the next chapter in the book is General Hancock, who is the general for the North. And uh, uh, General Hancock's like, man, I, I got to meet this Chamberlain guy. He's a stud. So he meets Chamberlain. And uh, Chamberlain's like, oh, uh, reporting for duty, sir. I'm ready to battle for you. He's like, hold on, hold on. You did great. You did great. I'm so proud of you. Uh, uh, you and your men, we're just going to keep you here in the middle, nice and safe, because the South, they're going to either charge us from the, from the front or the back. So you guys just stay in the middle. And so then the next chapter is, uh, is uh, General Lee of the South talking with General Longstreet. And General Longstreet's like, what's the order, General Lee? And General Lee's like, you know, I bet you Hancock thinks we're going to attack from the front or the back. We're going to attack the middle where Chamberlain and his men are. And so the South attacks the middle. And basically the two most important battles of the battle of Gettysburg, Chamberlain is totally outmatched and he wins both of the battles. And so the, the very end of the book, it gives you about a paragraph on each guy. And so Chamberlain, who you and I have never even heard of Kevin Chamberlain, it turned out, he was in seven more battles. He was wounded in every single battle. He impressed General Grant so much that General Grant had, uh, had Chamberlain accept the Southern surrender at uh, Appomattox Courthouse. And Chamberlain endeared himself to the South by ordering the Northern troops to salute their brothers when they surrendered, which is a totally classy thing to do. So Chamberlain, who we've never even heard about, he goes back to uh, Maine. He becomes president of Bowdoin College. He gets, he gets elected governor four times, never with less than 80% of the vote. The guy should be on currency, and you and I have never even heard of him. And this is how I get kids excited about books, is I find out what they're interested in. I'm like, hey, you got to read this book. So hopefully I got you interested in that book, The Killer Angels. And the, 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 the question I had for you, Kevin, is uh, in your reading period, what, what were the things that you were reading? Uh, oh, anything from uh, stock market analysis to politics. I'm super interested in uh, Ron Paul and constitutionality and yeah. uh, all sorts of uh, science material and social networking. I mean, it was uh, a whole full library, so I just read around and found what I was interested That's in. Awesome. And, uh, right now I'm That's awesome. That's awesome. So I've got some ways to go to find what more I'm interested in. We do just well, have a I few minutes, um, but I do got to get to the rest of the panel, but I, oh, go ahead, doc, doctor. You, you wanted to finish your thought. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I know I get long winded. Kevin, uh, just email me anytime. I'll chat it up with you. I, I, I'm so excited about uh, all that you're doing. Keep it up, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. This has been a really entertaining. Uh, Do Dr. Branch, your mic, your mic's down. Okay. Can you hear now me now? Now you're good. Now you're, yeah, now you're good. Okay. This has been a really great segment. And, uh, Danny, it's, it's, it's great listening to you. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed listening to, what, the, the Jim Carrey with a Ph.D. I, it's, it's been <laughs> entertaining. So I, uh, I'm into education myself. Uh, I teach uh, mainly teachers to the doctorate level, uh, 
many of our superintendents, many of our principals, thousands of our teachers over the past 18 years. Um, I'm really concerned with the state of education in the United States. Uh, you know, you, you've talked some of the books that I think are, are my favorites. I mean, you know, the, the, the Team of Rivals was an amazing book, uh, and I strongly recommend it. Uh, but you also mentioned Mark Twain. Uh, many of Mark Twain's in Arizona, many of Mark Twain's books are now banned. Uh, you can't read Huck Finn. You can't read Tom Sawyer. Same with Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird. Those are not permitted in schools now. And to me, uh, when I grew up, those are some of the books that, you know, like you talked about, getting people interested. You know, I remember Mrs. Hamilton in, in, in 10th grade sitting down with me and saying, Bob, you, you, you got to read Huckleberry Finn. You got to read Tom Sawyer. And she forced me to do it, and it broadened my mind. Uh, but now we're banning these books. Uh, I remember in fourth grade you mentioned comic books. I'll tell you what, I wish you can talk to Mr. Gradick because when I brought my Thor book, I mean my Thor comic book in with a, a book review, uh, he did not agree with your assertion that that was a book. I'm just letting you know right now. But, uh, you know, I, I look at our state of education. Now, John B. was talking about at, in the beginning about dodgeball. Um, the reality in Arizona, we have many schools with like a no-touch policy. These no-touch policies, uh, so a first grader falls, skims her knee, teacher can't run over, pick up the child, give the child a hug, say it's going to be okay. That's against the rules. Some of the games are like no-touch uh, tag. You, you play shadow tag now. You step on a person's shadow. Uh, you know, and, and I see this. Uh, because of the United States government involvement in education. And to me, uh, I ran for superintendent of public instruction in 2018 for the state of Arizona. That's the highest executive position in education. And to me, I see that as one of the reasons why we have this political correctness now in our schools. So I'd like to hear your, state, uh, your, your opinion of our state of education uh, but also, uh, you know, in education in, in Arizona, we have a policy, for instance, with sex ed. Sex ed is taught traditionally. So here's a man, here's a woman, this is what happens when they get together, here's the diseases, women hears about your body, men hears about your body, and that's about it. And they also preach abstinence until marriage. But now we have a superintendent of public instruction that wants to bring in this uh, advanced sexuality education. So what this is, it's not sex ed, it's sexuality education that starts in kindergarten and teaching all the way through 12th grade. So we have the banning of books. We have teachers not being able to teach their subjects. We have, uh, you know, uh, an education system, Arizona is ranked 48th out of 50 as far as quality of education. So, you know, as an educator and teaching educators, uh, I'm extremely concerned about this because, you know, Kevin, I'm not Kevin, Rory asked you, well, how do we solve this problem? And you said through education. Well, how do we solve it through education when educators are not permitted to educate? 
Well, first of all, Dr. Branch, thanks for running for uh, superintendent of Arizona. I always, uh, one of my favorite quotes was uh, President Teddy Roosevelt said, the credit belongs to the to the one that's in the arena. And I always tell people, if you're going to gripe about a politician, just just realize they, they threw their hat in the ring. And so uh, uh, kudos to you for throwing your hat in the ring. I, I wish we had more people like you out there. Um, I I call it the wussification of America. We, this country goes so extreme one one way or the other, and I I, I agree with you. It's kind of it's kind of ridiculous when I hear. Uh, here's a statistic that'll freak everybody out: is uh, how, I'll ask you, Doctor Branch. Do you know how many states in America have a banned book list? I believe all. Yes, all fifty of them. Uh, and uh, last year, the most banned book in America was Harry Potter. Number two was uh, number two, I think, was Catcher in the Rye. Number three was uh, was Little Red Riding Hood because she brings wine to her grandmother. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! And when they start banning people like Harper Lee and Mark Twain, uh, there's a great scene in the movie uh, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus where uh, the principal and Mr. Holland get into debate and. Uh, the principal says, I'm sorry, Mr. Holland, but if I got to choose between reading and writing and music and art, I'm going to get rid of music and art. And Mr. Holland replies, well, if you keep on getting rid of music and art, the kids will have nothing to read and write about. And I completely agree with that. And the first book I always read to my kindergartners was always The Adventures of Tom Sawyer by, by Mark Twain. The first book I always read to my seniors in high school was Oh, the Place You Shall Go by Dr. Seuss, because I wanted to make a clear statement to my students from day one is great literature has no age level. Uh, all of us can appreciate Dr. Seuss, and all of us can appreciate Mark Twain. Uh, I mean, uh, Huckleberry Finn is one of the most important books read and ever written, and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is my favorite book of all time. So that's just uh, disgusting to me. Actually, you know, uh, here's a, I'm going to give you a great book to read, Dr. Branch. I, I read this recently. Uh, um, I've actually – I'll sound lame here because I've actually never watched the show Duck Dynasty, but uh, I read the book American Entrepreneur. <laughs> American Entrepreneur by Willie Robertson, who is, uh, I guess he's the, he's the head patron of Duck Dynasty or whatever. It was a fascinating read because he gave a history of entrepreneurism in uh, America, and it really touches upon everything you're talking about is American ingenuity and, uh, you know, <laughs> don't suppress people. I, I mean, to me, that's what's going crazy in America right now is that uh, – we're talking about sexuality with kindergartners. I mean, come on, people, that's yeah. not appropriate. I, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to sound crude, but this is ridiculous at this it's, point. It's uh, and, and, uh, go ahead, Doctor Branch. I'm sorry. Oh no, I just. Oh, I think Rory was something. Yeah, what's going on with the kid, <laughs> what you were just mentioning about the kindergarten? It's just it's crazy how they're trying to you know uh, push sexuality questions on these young kids. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I, it's it's completely crazy, Rory. I mean, uh, and and what Dr. Branch is talking about is the, is the struggle I see with so many educators that their hands are tied. Uh, I mean, yeah. I got yelled at once because I did a Christmas program with my students, and we're like, we're not allowed to do Christmas. And I said, right. and it was ridiculous because I also did in the program we did Hanukkah and we did Kwanzaa, and I'm like. What do you want me to freaking do? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, no, I, 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 I'm not trying to be I, mean. I, the, the spirit of Christmas is not a bad thing. Uh, uh, like, uh, it, it just gets crazy, and that's where I think the lunatics are running the asylum right now. Uh, when, when I look at uh, 
a guy like Dr. Branch running for, for state superintendent, he's right. Actually, in, in Dr. Branch, I'm speaking in Scottsdale, if you're in the area. I speak there on uh, on Thursday uh, at the Embassy Suites to the uh, Association. I think it's the Association of uh, Correctional Educators or whatever. You're more than welcome to attend. I'd love to meet you. Um, We've got a minute and a half left. Okay, I'm sorry. So, Rory, you you do your thing, but but Dr. Branch, uh, thanks for, thanks for being part of the, being in the arena, and uh, let's let's keep let's keep this conversation going. Let's be part of the solution uh, rather than just uh, guys that are griping. <laughs> because what I see is, you know, an educator like you, the ambassador of reading. Uh, you know, people need to read about you because you're 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 a fantastic individual. If your experience, which you have, the same things that I've been talking about, that deflates and demoralizes amazing teachers. When you have to sit back and you have to say to yourself, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, then we we have ruined great teachers. And I don't want to ruin great teachers. Great teachers will lead to a greater United States. And I want to empower the teachers. But they have to be able to get rid of these, these, these funded and unfunded mandates that just make zero sense at all. Um, and I like the wussification as you're talking about because that's what it truly is. Great talking with yeah, you. Yeah, we got to we got to run. We got to run. run. Um, do, doctor, please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, again, everybody, if they just go to freereadingtraining.com, everybody can get a free copy of the book plus uh, a couple of digital audio trainings. If you want to just uh, speak with me, name is dannybrussell.com. My last name's easy to remember how to spell. It's spelled like bras cell. No, I never took any uh, grief over that as a child. Perfect, perfect. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, we'll have you back. Thanks for all you do, Rory. Thanks to all your uh, listeners, too. All right, take care. We'll be right back, everybody. Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at SkyRace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaceSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? Hi, I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, your remote video production specialist. Using equipment you already own, I help you deliver high-value videos to your audience. From interviews and demonstrations to online meetings and trainings, I work with you to shape your stories and subjects that demonstrate your subject matter expertise. If you're a product specialist, sales executive, or business owner, we make video production simple and affordable. We do this so that you can make videos on a regular basis, whether it's daily, weekly, or monthly to communicate about the topics and discussions that are important to you, your audience, and your business. To make your videos, we use HD video conferencing that allows you and your guests to connect to our studio from your home or office using your laptop, phone, or tablet. Once you and your guests have connected to our studio, we do all the rest. We take care of the TV graphics, the intro videos, the outro videos, the music, the -the behind-the-scenes production. 
everything that it takes to either live stream or locally record your video for post-production editing to social media, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. If you're tired of seeing the empty balloon commercials that are being made by your competition's social media experts, give me a call. I work directly with you, the subject matter expert, to help shape your story and ideas in a professional and polished manner via video. If you're ready to take a deep dive on your expertise and showcase the essence of your business via video, give me a call or connect with me online. I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. And we are back to the Rory Sodder Show, coast-to-coast, worldwide. Listen to it in 23 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss any past clips, past episodes, need 24-7 breaking news coverage, please visit our media site, thenextgengenusa.com. And remember, in the coming weeks, we will be having many notable people doing their own shows on the website, and I'm very excited to share that with all of you. Uh, we are out of time. There are some things I did not get to tonight, but I will get to that tomorrow. Uh, Dr. Branch, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yes, hey, everybody can follow me on Twitter, at Bob Branch. That's at, that's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-H. Thank you, Rory. All right, Dr. Branch, we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, let's go to... Um, Kevin, go ahead. Oh, yes. You can find me, preferably, on Facebook at Nationalist United. Uh, looking forward to a great show tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. And let's go to Daryl. You can find me liking anything that Kevin posts on Facebook, and uh, you can find me at DarylKane2024.com. Great show. All right. We'll see you tomorrow, my friend. Sounds good, brother. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, my audience and sponsors. You guys are all incredible. Uh, the show just keeps getting better and better, everybody. Uh, we got a huge show tomorrow, and uh, I can't wait to share it with all of you. Uh, have a blessed night. Uh, I'm Rory Sodder. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. Much love, everybody. Cheers.